0: Hi, this is Scott with the Whiskey and Art Podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. And with me again tonight, as always, is our art professional, Stuart, the museum guy. It's good to be back, Scott. Well, Stuart, this week, I tell you, I've been looking at the Mona Lisa. Yeah. I feel like me and her have been doing FaceTime. I'm telling you, (laughs) every art book that I've opened up, the ones you've recommended, Mm -hmm. She's in there. She pops in there. And I keep going back to that thinking, oh, everyone's heard about the Mona Lisa. But mm. I keep going back. And to do the lady justice, I mean, we are doing this. You're, spending that face time. It's you're, like...
1: You're not the only one smitten by her. <laughs> well,
0: I tell you what. So, and and of course, once I see her, I, I start humming the Nat King Cole song. <laughs> in fact, I start singing that today and I was told promptly to stop singing. <laughs> you know. Um you know the words. Are you warm? Are you real Mona Lisa? Or just a cold and lonely, lovely work of art? And it is a lovely work of art. It's very iconic. Stuart, I'd be happy to sing it for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to take that as no. Folks, welcome. So we are talking about Mona Lisa today. But before we get into that, uh, today we're enjoying some a whiskey cocktail. Stuart, what is this? Yeah,
1: Scott, I decided our first bourbon cocktail. If we're going to do a cocktail, um, it should be an old-fashioned. Right? Yeah. Simple, classic, sugar, bitters, bourbon. It,
0: it, it I really enjoy it. hmm I, I don't know. Maybe it's whiskey's finally, you know, educated my tongue or something, but it is a delicious drink. It is. I'm having a hard time putting it down. So <laughs> you might have to do this show solo. Um, so, let's get in the background about the Mona Lisa. Okay. First off, uh, the Mona Lisa was created uh, by artist Leonardo da Vinci. Mm-hmm. Um history books say he started on about 1503 but he didn't finish it now this was an interesting part until about 1519 mm-hmm. and that was the year he died now I the art the artist kept the work for himself and uh, I saw a lot of theories about why it remains now an unfinished work of art mm-hmm. but what got my curiosity there Stuart was he was on a contract with that, wasn't he? What what didn't he?
1: Well, I, you know, there's some there's some mystery about that, right? But typically if, if you were an artist and you were commissioned to finish something, you you would have you have done and and then turned it over to the the patron who who uh, suggested that you you paint it and paid you. It's it's interesting because Da Vinci kept this for the rest of his life, and so there is something connecting him to this work that he traveled with it, he carried it with him. He he didn't I mean, there's evidence that he continued to work on it over a span of, of a period of several years. And so that's, it's kind of unique. And I think that's what's added to the mystique of the work throughout history.
0: I mean, it's been around for 500 years. Mm-hmm. And everything I've read says it is the most famous work of art, period. Yeah,
1: it's very iconic. I think everyone would recognize it. It's been lampooned. It's been spoofed. Um, modern and postmodern artists have, have sort of appropriated it into their work. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those iconic images.
0: So I love that part that he kept it for himself because I want to read this quote I came mm-hmm. across because it struck me. Painting mm-hmm. is poetry that is seen rather than felt. He was, he was credited with saying that. And he must have really felt something for the subject, the, the model, or just this piece of artwork. I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. But I, uh, I also, through my reading, saw that he invented... A certain style with this piece of artwork, and I, I'm going to mess up the Italian, <laughs> but I think it's like sfumato.
1: Yes, and you said that much better than I.
0: Can. <laughs> I doubt that. Um, but tell me briefly about that. Is that a common common style used now? Or?
1: Well, it, oh, I mean, it, in in that time, and and Da Vinci, really, what that that connotates is is his way of using this soft line and this blending. So if you look at her features, there are no harsh, harsh lines around the lips or the eyes or the nose, right? It all sort of tends to, to sort of blend and it creates this softening um, and this amb- ambiguity about her because there's no harsh edges. Um, I, I, as I was reading about it, I, I kind of thought about what we do to models on magazine covers, right? It's, it's the airbrushing of the high Renaissance, right?
0: that's interesting so let's let, I like to get into the, the Mona Lisa it's a masterpiece of the Italian Renaissance you just made that comment um, and it's the best known and the most visited most written about most sung about and the most parodied work of art in the world um, goes back to your opening comments um, now most of these notes are from uh, the Wikipedia page on the Mona Lisa if you and we'll have a link on the show notes Uh. Now, the painting is likely, and pretty much a- agreed upon, I think, by everyone now, um, is a, the model is Lisa Giardini. Yeah. And again, please forgive me the name. She was the wife of Francesco Del Giocondo, and he did this, Leonardo did this work under commission for this, he was a merchant. Mm-hmm. Um... And uh, which yeah, which made me wonder if the merchant never got that. I, I guess upon his death he got that. I, I don't know. I didn't.
1: Yeah, I don't know That's it's a little confusing. I mean, we know some of the history of the painting and, and, and this maybe was perhaps Leonardo's study or a preparatory painting or draw like right? We, we don't know, but we know that the subject is most likely this person. And of course that's debated about too, that there, there have been put forth other subjects that it might have been. Um, and maybe we'll get into that. Um but you know it was was part of King Francis I of, of France. It became the, the property of the French Republic and that's why it's in the Louvre and not in Italy. Um, and so we know that bit of the provenance of the the work. And so it is it is part of uh, the, the French Republic when it becomes all of the royal the royal holdings became public property and so that's why
0: it's in the Louvre
1: instead of instead of Italy.
0: Fast that's fascinating. The Mona Lisa, um, just jumping into, it was one of the most valuable paintings in the world right now. Uh, it holds a Guinness world book of record for the highest known insurance valuation <laughs> in history. I know I'm a, a nerd with numbers sometimes, um, at a hundred million, the equivalent of $650 million in 2018. Mm-hmm hundred million in 1962. In fact, they said they found out that it was easier just to hire uh, the best security team than to pay the premium on insurance.
1: <laughs> well, yes, that's why it's behind, it's behind bulletproof glass right now, right? Like.
0: Um, now, it's her smile that I think intrigues people. And I tell you, in this painting, um, Leonardo's, and again, this is off of research done by Wikipedia page, Uh, Leonardo's desire was to capture more than the mere likeness. He wanted to show something of her soul, which he accomplished with his great emphasis on her peculiarly unconventional smile. She's not simply smiling for the artist, she is caught in a particular moment of feeling. The viewer is left to wonder what she was thinking, what the smile might have meant, or who she was. Depiction of being caught in in mid-emotion,
1: yeah, and that, that emotional moment is, is is starting to be portrayed in the, the Renaissance at this time, in the, the 1500s, in the, the Quattro Centro, where they're starting to look at humanism and the multiple expressions of our emotions. And so you start to see that um, sort of permeate the art and portraiture that's happening at the time, where previously they all look sort of blank and vacant, right? And this is one of those moments where this isn't a vacant portrait, right?
0: There's there's someone behind those eyes. It's it's feeling, it's emotional. You you feel it when you're looking at it. Yeah. At that time or before that time, they were more flat pieces, yeah. not inviting. Yep. The eyes seem to follow you. <laughs> and I read a couple pieces that the eyes, you know, it, it, you know wherever you're standing, the eyes, is that something that's just a normal Oh, I think, I, think that's his,
1: uh, I, I think that goes to his talent as an artist, right? Like, the idea of being able to paint that in a way that engages the viewer. And they were working with perspective at the time, too, right? So the mathematical equations for perspective. And, and, and he would have known about mathematical and equations. And Da Vinci was an engineer and a mathematician and a scientist and all of these other things that we know Da Vinci for. Um, so he would have been well aware of all of those innovations at the time, too.
0: Well, I think she only has eyes for me because she's always <laughs> looking at me, Sarah, I can't help this. <laughs> you talked about how several other people they were credited with being the model. And uh, in fact, I thought it was interesting. They named named several of them, and one of them was Leonardo himself, which I remember (laughs) back in school, way back when I was in grade school, I think I heard that story, that he painted it, and it was actually of himself.
1: Yeah, well, we have some documentation from Giorgio Vasari, who wrote the biographies of artists in the period of time, and and he was really one of the first art historians we'd look to, um, to start the field. But he writes about the work, and we have his written descriptions um, of Giocondo, but also there are other, other subjects that have been put forth by various scholars looking into this and proposing that it might have been Isabella of Aragon, um, or Constance de Alavos. So there, there are all of these other, I mean, that's what scholars do, right? They, they pick a theory and they put forth and they write a paper and they say, no, actually my research says that it could be so-and-so or so-and-so
0: as you referred to earlier, it wasn't always famous.
1: Yeah, it would have been a private collection of King Francis I and it wasn't until the French Revolution that it became public property of the French Republic. And it was put in the Louvre and, and all of those royal collections were put on public display so that everyone could see them. Um, and that that is when it starts its popularity. So the Mona Lisa becomes this icon and that's the trajectory that that's where that starts from.
0: Now that particular time it was actually about 1780 something i believe that that french revolution occurred. So it sat for 200 years plus in obscurity practically yeah, in a private collection in the private collection. Not
1: that dissimilar than the way it was kept by da vinci, right? It wasn't oh, that's on public right, yeah. display.
0: That, that uh, It also it ties back with the, his piece after the re- French Revolution. Leonardo began to be revered as a genius and the painting's popularity grew in the mid-19th century when the French intelligentsia mm-hmm. um, praised it as a mysterious and a representation of the femme fatale.
1: Yeah, so they're looking at this through the lens of the 19th century and this idea of the mystique of the femme fatale and here is this very enigmatic woman this very enigmatic portrait that's that is intriguing and so they're they're layering on those interpretations and those that's why I think that popularity like takes off.
0: You know, I, I struggle with, you know, because art history is new to me and mm-hmm. it's fascinating, but the intelligentsia, I thought, is that was that their secret police? What was that? <laughs> I found out it's it's it was pretty much the educated yes. and the um well off the elite that could enjoy yes. going to the Louvre. The they movie. were
1: the learned scholars, the, the, the educated individuals who would have been aware and would have been visiting the museum and would have been in the know.
0: There are some fun little facts I came across in an article in Mental Floss by Christy uh, Pucco. And I hope I've said your name right. is an excellent article. Again, I'll have links to it in the show notes. Um, she starts the article by saying her tricky smile and timeless allure have inspired academic study and artistic emulation for more than five centuries but the story of Leonardo da Vinci's perplexing portrait is even richer than it looks now here's some fun facts I'm gonna start Napoleon crushed hard on her, <laughs> and then his descendant, then her descendant. The French emperor once had Mona Lisa hanging in his bedroom in the Tuileries palace for about four years, beginning in 1800. It's said that his fascination with the painting inspired his affection for a pretty Italian named Teresa, who was actually a descendant of Lisa. Love that. Yeah. Another man kept it for himself.
1: Yeah, well, he, he has inspired... Um a lot of suitors throughout history. Um, in fact, there are, are, are notations and documentation of suitors bringing flowers and poems and notes um, and climbed the grand staircase of the Louvre to gaze at her. There has been this infatuation throughout history. According to some, men have died because they have fallen in love with us. Um, it's these, these strange stories. In 1852, the artist, Luc Maspero, Supposedly threw himself off the fourth floor of a Parisian hotel after uh, leaving a a suicide note that read, For years I have grappled desperately with her smile and I prefer to die. And so um, (laughs) there are all of these sorts of mythologies that we create around this work and these connections that people have had throughout time with it. Um, And it's even been a site of protest and attack, right? So it's been damaged. Um, by violent attack, and and throughout history, artwork has been seen as some of these targets. The Mona Lisa is not the only one. Michelangelo's David was damaged by a woman. Um, But the Hugo Ungazia Villegas, a Bolivian who chucked a rock at the portrait in 1956, um, was was using it as a site of protest. Um, another, Another art attacker pitched acid at it um, and then there was this attack in two thousand nine. A Russian woman who had been denied French citizen threw a teacup at it. You know, she. So it's this site of protest throughout history because it's, because it's become such
0: a historic icon. Now, it was stolen from the Louvre in August twenty first, nineteen eleven, and the New York uh, Times. Uh, compared the, the public display of grief to that scene in the wake of Princess Diana's death in 1997. Mm-hmm. That was incredible. Thousands poured into the Louvre to stare in shock at the blank wall where she once hung and leave flowers, notes, and other remembrances. That is truly loving something.
1: Yeah. This, this work of art has had love, death, protest, theft, all of these great soap opera Mysteries around mystery. who the model
0: was. Yes. <laughs> where right. the model came from. Yes. Um, now, did you know, here's another fun fact I'm gonna throw at Stuart.
1: Scott has lo- loads, <laughs> loads of fun facts that he likes to throw at me.
0: Pablo Picasso was a suspect in the cable. Oh yes,
1: yes, I did of know co-
0: that. Did he- I did not realize he had been caught uh, buying stolen pieces before. <laughs> so, so he was there, but yeah, they actually
1: don't, they don't really tell that when you study when you study Picasso. They don't really they don't mention that part. Now
0: the suspect in the caper, and, and there's a reason I want to go into the caper just a little bit. The the theft. Uh, a Louvre employee, uh, Vin, Vincenzo uh, Perughi, was a proud nas- Italian nationalist who smuggled the painting out under his smock because he felt it belonged to his and da Vinci's homeland, not France.
1: Yeah. So there is this conflict. You know, this this idea that it is an Italian piece and it should be in Italy,
0: right? Yes, yeah. Now, they all thought he was only one prosecutor, right? Mm-hmm. And he had the piece. He said at the time it was heavily encased in wood, so it would have weighed 200 pounds. So there had to be more people involved, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now comes years later, after his prosecution, a man who called himself, wait for it, the Marquis of the Vale of Hell. I'm I'm claiming that. Who wouldn't want to be called <laughs> the Marquis of the Vale of Hell? He convinced he can he confessed to an American reporter, Carl Decker, that he was the true mastermind behind the theft of Mona Lisa, on the condition that his story be kept secret until his death. Why, why? <laughs> I mean, if you did it, you know.
1: My my question is: the guy carried it out under his coat. I mean, where was security, right? Like, I realize he's an like an employee, and it's an inside job, and da, da 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 da, right? Like nobody suspects the 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 janitor or the the museum employee. But that's that's just hilarious to me that you could think that you could get away with.
0: Maybe that he was just clearing out his desk like we do today, <laughs> and, and they thought it was a portrait of his wife and family. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I did I did read that. Um, after it was stolen and after he was prosecuted, the French allowed the um, portrait to take it be toured throughout Italy yes. before it was returned to yeah. the I thought that was very magnanimous and yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: very great. Well, if you go too far down the conspiracy theory rabbit holes, there there is some thought and a conspiracy that that it, the, the 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 Mona Lisa that is in the Louvre now is actually a fake. That the theft. Because it was missing for so long that the original is gone and this is a re- replica. But, I mean, we get much further and we're going to have to break out the tinfoil hats.
0: <laughs> it's funny because it was gone for two
1: years. Yes.
0: And the whole reason that this, uh, I'm going to say it again, the Marquis of the Veil of Hell, he had it so there could be uh, they could replicate it and sell, and no one would know no, who had the original. You know, there's yes. a great movie called The Con Job with Kurt Russell, <laughs> yeah. okay, that they do something similar, so folks, uh, check that out. So I tell you what, we're, we're going to, it makes me want to break out in song, the Mona Lisa. Anybody <laughs> for that? Okay, no. Now, I love the painting even more, Stuart. and, and I tell you, someday I'm going to stand in front of it.
1: Well, I hope you do, Scott, but I, I wanna I want to give you a little heads up. It's a little underwhelming. Um, you've stood there I, I have I've, I've, been to, I've been to France I've been to the Louvre and I've, the, the thing that I I remember most is the throngs and throngs of tourists with their cell phones and their cameras out and and it's really kind of it is a beautiful and magnificent piece but there's some distance between you and actually viewing it like you you, you, you have some distance between you and the gallery when you're there and it's behind glass and we see it replicated, and we see it enlarged all of the time, right? It's actually fairly small. I think that's what struck me the most was the scale of the piece. It's only about 30 by 20 inches, so it's fairly, relatively small. Um, and we think of these things, and especially if you've been in an art history classroom, you've seen it projected up on the slide and the wall, and it's huge, right? And then when you get there... Oh, and the, the, place, books. And the, and the, the books! All the books
0: look like they're big. The it's...
1: books and the color plates... But there is there is something about being in its presence. Did that, you love it? Yeah, of course. Just to be able to say that there, I, I stood in front of this iconic
0: Did you push scene. people away just to say, hey, <laughs> this is my space? Did I just elbow yeah. people out of the way? It's me and her. It's right time now, for folks. my selfie. She's looking yeah. at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Cool. laughs> I, I'll tell you, Mona Lisa and that smile mm-hmm. is, is going to be with us probably forever. And it, it's a beautiful piece. A thing that I searched for in Wikipedia and all through it, and I only found one reference to what happened to the model, what happened to the noble oh, woman. Yeah, I. And I want to end my, my uh, I'm part I'm not really about aware. This. Yeah, because I, I want to bring her into because, into the cheers because she got ill uh, in her 60s. Uh, she was left a nice um, uh, inheritance from her husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of their daughters took her in, and then she got so ill they sent her to a convent. Mm-hmm. And she spent her later years in the convent She died in obscurity on July 14, 1542. The unfinished masterpiece, Mona Lisa, did not turn her into an icon until centuries after she died. She wouldn't have never known who it was. So I tell you, that's that's a close. Um, And remember, you can link to all the show notes and everything at the bottom. And also on our website, whiskeyandart.com, we're going to have one page that just has links to the show notes in one spot. But tonight, I'd like to raise a glass, not just to our listeners, but also to Lisa, the model. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening.